The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. You found the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Here's the host, Bill Spone. Hello and welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Having worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for 30 years, I've met a lot of people. I've had a lot of experiences and encounters and there's a lot of things bubbling around in my head. Hence, the podcast. In March of 2022, I was invited to be a guest on the Conscious Builder Show with Casey Gray. So I guess all the conversations I've been having about my modular net zero home have reached north of the border to Ottawa, the capital city of Canada, where Casey's based. Now, Casey actually interviewed me on his podcast, and it's available as episode 181, and you can find it by looking up The Conscious Builder, or you can just click the link in the show notes. He also did a kind of nifty 10-minute video excerpt of the podcast interview, and that's available on his YouTube channel, and there's also a link to that in the show notes. So we had such a great conversation. I wanted to pick his brain, hence this podcast that you're listening to right now. We talk about some of the differences in the Canadian market, as well as how he runs his business, and it's really great advice there, and the Conscious Builder Academy, which he is building. There were some Knuggets. You heard it here first, folks. Knowledge nuggets are knuggets that emerge, including don't believe everything you think. There can be better ways and avoid tunnel vision. Listen for the context of those two nuggets, knuggets, <laughs> during the podcast. I share links to his website and an email in case you want to get a hold of Casey. But let's stop talking about all this stuff and listen to the conversation I had with Casey Gray the conscious builder, and the essentials required to build a comfortable, healthy, efficient home. Good afternoon, Casey. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Casey, you also do podcast and videocast. So tell us a little bit about what you got going. Yeah, we focus on everything to do with residential construction and building healthy, comfortable, and efficient homes. So a lot of our podcasts are the interviews, like what you're doing here. And then on our YouTube channel, we post some of those interviews, but we also use the YouTube channel to showcase some of the different building techniques, some of the projects that we have on the go. We got a lot of different things, a lot of renovations. We do all major energy retrofits and custom homes. So there's always something interesting to talk about and test out and share the results on there. So your show or your content is branded under the Conscious Builder, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And you have a whole website that supports that and training materials too, am I correct? Yeah. So we have a couple. So we have the ConsciousBuilder.com, which is our main construction, like our main business around for clients within the Ottawa area, right? But then we also have ConsciousBuilderAcademy.com, which we're building courses to help other contractors essentially stay in business and build better homes. Because I've made a lot of mistakes over my 12 years in business and almost 20 years in construction now. So if we can help other people from making those same mistakes, then that would be the goal there. And then you can find us on YouTube at The Conscious Builder as well. How about some where you're saving fellow contractors the mistakes? What are some of the, like, the leading things that you learned over the course of this time? So there's actually... A free course that I have on the Academy of the top five things I wish I knew before I started my business. There you go. <laughs> so you can definitely check that out. But 
One of the biggest one that always stands out to me that I didn't get at the beginning was understanding the difference between a markup percentage and a margin percentage. And when you're young, you know, at the time I started my business, I was 20, 23, 24, something like that. You think you want to make a certain percentage. So you're marking up your materials 20%. Like, oh, I'm going to make 20%. And then there's a labor cost or whatever too. But marking up, I'm going to make 20%. But at the end of the day, you don't make 20% if you mark things up 20%. You make like 17 or 16.3% or something like that if you work backwards and figure out the margin at the end of the day. Your profit margin ends up being significantly less. And that's a big mistake as your revenue starts to increase more and more, right? And I increased fairly quickly. I was able to pick up a custom home, for example, fairly quickly. So I left thousands of dollars on the table at the beginning of my business career, not understanding. And ultimately you get into borrowing money and trying to figure out why things aren't happening. And then you got to get out of that hole. But that was the biggest thing when it comes to the business side and managing that. What's the makeup of your business? Do you have like a business manager or is it all run through you? So now the way we're set up, we have about 17 people now. Most of those are carpenters on the site, whether they're lead carpenters or general carpenters or apprentices. Within the office, we do have a project manager and we do have a project coordinator. So she's helping our PM. So she's on the office side, budgets and that sort of stuff. And we have a bookkeeper as well that and slash office admin that deals with all the other random things that we have to deal with. And then myself, I take care of all of the sales still. So anything to do with that. And then my partner and brothers, the operations. So he's making sure that everything is working well together and has way more meetings than I like to have, (laughs) I'm the kind of future, what do we have coming up sort of thing. And he's like, all right, how do we make sure that everything we're doing is working well and getting better? Which so works out well. That's a great point, counterpoint kind of relationship to have. I think every business pretty much needs that because it's hard to embody all that within one person. Oh, absolutely. And that's definitely not me, right? So that's why we work well together. And then we do have the media side too. So we have two people on the marketing So that's kind of me. I'm like sales and marketing, creating content and getting the projects and staying and talking, doing all the interviews, like what you're doing here. So we have somebody creating our content and then we have somebody managing all of our marketing stuff as well. And then my wife helps out as well, reaching out to people and finding great guests. I'm pretty sure she found you originally. (laughs) Yeah. So I was on Casey's show. Yeah. <laughs> it was a couple weeks ago. You got it out there. Yeah, all my days mold into one now. I'm not sure now. <laughs> so give me one more of those top five things. We're not going to like go exhaustively through the list, but so understanding, making sure that the people on your team have the same values. And another big lesson that I learned is that it's the whole like higher, slow, fire, quick, easier said than done. A big part is sometimes a person's just not right for your business. They could be, for example, it could be a great carpenter, but if he's not in line, if his values aren't, they don't have to be the same values, but if his values, his personal values aren't aligned with the values of the business and the direction of the business, it's usually not a good fit. Or if they're not a good team player or something like that. So you need to make sure that you have the right people on the bus. So we have a very strict hiring process that we go through now. So every person that we hire goes through three interviews by three different people. Actually, there's four people involved, but two people at once on one of those interviews. And then we don't talk in between interviews. And then we get together after and talk amongst did this was this person good. Usually, if they make it to me, it's a good sign. But there has been people who've made it to me that I've said, you know what, I don't think that they work for this position because of x that actually happened recently, where I said, Look, 
yeah, I like them, but I don't think the experience is there, for example. And that's what ended up happening. But we tried it out and then we move on. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work out, right? It just turns out that way. But that would be a big thing is making sure you got the right people on the bus from the start, because it's a lot more work to get rid of somebody and find somebody later than to just get the right person from the start. And I understand that people move on. We never want to hold anybody back either, but it's all part of just that open communication and making sure that you have the right people. Because hopefully the people that we bring on, if they are going to move on, we've had lots of people move on. They give us plenty of notice. We've had a few people come be like, yeah, I'm going to go off on my own, but they're not like, Hey, I'm gone in two weeks. They're like, Hey, I'm going to be gone in the next few months sort of thing. So has your media, your training been helpful in getting people to join your team? Yeah, it actually has. There's quite a few times where the people that are going through the process have actually said, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time now. Actually, somebody who's coming on board recently, he had been listening to our podcast for years and forgot that we were in Ottawa. And he was in Ottawa looking like newly back in Ottawa, I should say, looking for work. And somebody else had recommended that he reach out to us. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've been listening to them for a while now and just didn't think, right? So it definitely helps, which is interesting. I find the YouTube side, the videos help with the sales and the podcast seems to be more where it's other contractors listening to it. And if people are in the area, they've potentially been listening to our podcast before. So it definitely creates that trust and the awareness. Are you encountering the same kind of issues finding labor workers up there in Ottawa that we are in the States? Oh yeah. It's everywhere. There's labor shortage, and people are competing. And we've had a couple people where we said, come on board, but then they got a better deal somewhere else or better offer, which we just couldn't do because their experience didn't meet what we needed sort of thing. Right. So happened recently. So yeah, it's definitely forcing us to pay more. And in turn, we have to charge more too. So everything's going up at the end of the day. So it's the consumer that gets hurt the most when things like this happen. They're at the end of the line. But it sounds like you use those parameters, some of the things you mentioned, those top five things. You're, you understand your financials, you understand people, and you understand your customers. So talk a little bit about your customers. Tell me, how do they find you? What do they come to you with? What kind of questions? And then do you sort of have to mold your customers, mold their thinking? So a lot, at first I did, but now because of all the content that we put out there, a lot of people are pretty, they're reaching out to us because they know we're the person who can do the work that they want to do. So a lot of times they already feel like they know me. And this is what I tell people when we train and we just released like a marketing course through the academy to help people get more sales. Like a lot of it is you just put stuff out there because when people find it, it's not like your first interaction with them. So you're not trying to sell them. They're already somewhat sold for the most part in working with you. They believe with you, assuming that the budget and scope where all that lines up, but they already appreciate what you're putting out there and you've built that trust already. So that's a huge help, but obviously they don't have the knowledge that we have as a team. And I'm not going to pretend that I know everything either, but obviously I know quite a bit, but I also have the people I can reach out to if I can't answer their questions, for example, right? There's usually a lot of, at the beginning conversations around, yeah, you can do that. However, this is typically how we approach it for these reasons sort of thing, right? So people, 
often have an idea of what they want, but they don't necessarily know the best way to get it or the best way to approach it because the house, there's so much going on in a house in the project. As you know, the house is a system. So we definitely have to bring that. And that's why we call it the conscious builder too, is we just bring the information that they need so that they can make a conscious decision because it's different for everybody. Everybody has different needs, different wants, and a lot of times a different style of home or a home that's been renovated multiple times that we're dealing with. So we're dealing with a really interesting one right now that it's once again, even though I've been doing this 20 years, I've never seen some of the stuff that we're dealing with on this project. Stuff isn't problems or? Well, they're not necessarily problems. It's just how the house was built. So what it looks like is that it was originally a cabin that was probably on like piers and it had a wraparound deck around it. And then what they did is they came in, jacked the house up, and put beams and posts underneath the original house, but then put a foundation out at where the porch went to and then turned it into a bigger house. So you can still see the original sloped porch in the basement when you look up, but then they have all these random posts throughout the basement, which are in the way of what we want to do. And they've obviously leveled the floor because the porch would have been sloped and they've leveled the floor on the main floor. So they put like sleepers over top of the existing porch to make the floor somewhat level on the main floor. And then the roof, you can see when you go up in the roof, you can see that they've extended that. So it's creative, but it makes it difficult for what we need to do or what the clients want to do at the next stage of this renovation now. You mentioned at the outset, you do residential construction, healthy, comfortable, and efficient homes. Break those down a little bit. How do you define healthy? How do you define comfort? And how do you define efficient? So I'll start with comfort. Comfort is for the most part usually self-explanatory like everyone at least where we live has experienced a cold basement or a cold room over a garage or a hot room in the summer because it's too far it's not getting the airflow that sort of stuff or we know that it's usually because of air tightness and insulation details as well but that's things so when we're talking comfort we're talking like an even or we know that if you have a four-story home there's a stack effect and things are going to change but Ideally, and even within a few degrees, a temperature throughout the home, no matter where you go, you don't want to necessarily be cold or be hot. You want to be comfort, whatever that level is for you. The health side of things comes down to products that are used, but also making sure that you're bringing fresh air into the home, right? Through the ERV in our case, where I always recommend ERVs for our climate. So that would be making sure that we make the home airtight, which helps with the comfort, doing the insulation details that are required, and then ventilating the home 24-7, which gives you that fresh indoor air that adds to the health. Obviously, there's all sorts of products that can be brought in after the fact, and we can't control that. And to some extent, we can't control what's being used because we're doing custom, it's still up to the client and what they want to pay for, right? So we just give them the information they need. And then by default, if you build a healthy and comfortable home, so you've taken care of those aspects, you end up with a more efficient home because the things that give you a healthy and comfortable home also give you an efficient home. When you were talking about energy efficiency, obviously, if you end up taking 60 minute showers every single day, your house is going to be less efficient than your neighbors, maybe. But we're talking heating and cooling. And humidity is not an issue in the places you build, or is it? I shouldn't say never. So we do have hot, humid summers here and fairly dry winters. So we do need to manage that. So it kind of depends on the home. Like you might still need to add a humidifier or a dehumidifier depending on the size of the home and how the home is used. So for example, 
we had not in that passive house now, but the original certified passive house that we had built, it did get really dry. It was a fairly large home, but it got pretty dry in the winter because we didn't have a lot of people living in the home or pets or anything like that, that were adding humidity into the home. So we actually needed to add some humidity into that house. But if the house was smaller, we likely would have been fine. ERVs obviously help regulate that. Hence why you can run it 24 seven, not like an HRV here, like HRVs, we can't run in the summer here. Cause they're not conditioning the air that's coming in, right? Well, they're not getting rid of the humidity. So if we have like hundred percent humidity outside, it's bringing that in. So the air conditioner ends up competing, fighting to try and get rid of the humidity in the house and vice versa in the winter, I guess, to some extent, but. And unless they're designed with the right sensible heating ratio, it's going to be hard for them to keep up with that heat load. Do you subcontract HVAC? Yeah, we're carpenters, so we do a lot of the carpentry work, but we'll sub out plumbing, HVAC, and any electrical work, and then bigger jobs like drywall, insulation, that sort of stuff. You mentioned a certified passive house, so that's part of your achievements there? Yeah, we've built four certified homes across the city here, one for myself and then a few for other architects that we work with regularly, and we do a lot of net zero homes now in Canada, the net zero energy or net zero energy ready is a fairly new standard. So we've been doing a lot of those and also renovations, energy retrofits. When did you do your first, any one of those groups, passive house, net zero, when was the first one? We went all out and went right for passive house. Oh, you did? <laughs> that was about nine years ago. And that kind of kicked off our, call it sustainable or high performance home building and renovation career, <laughs> saying we'd change the direction of the business. Did you feel it was taking a risk back then doing it? I didn't, but I feel like I have a high risk tolerance compared to other people. <laughs> Hence why my brother helps me in business because we're yin and yang sort of thing, right? So I would say no, like I had the carpentry stuff down. Like I wasn't concerned about building a house or anything like that. And I know myself that like I didn't take any passive house courses before I did it. I just, I saw a presentation on it. It made sense to me and I'm like, Hey, let's do it. It can't be that difficult. And we did it, right? And I learned kind of on the fly and I made the right connections with the right energy advisor who I still became good friends with, still work with now. Same with the designer. And we worked through everything together and we ended up getting it. So with the right team, it's definitely possible. But if you don't have the right team from the start, homes like that can be a bit of a nightmare. So you use the term energy advisor. I think that's unique to Canada. Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you do blower door tests? Yeah. There, yeah. So who does those? Oh, okay. Usually it's a home energy rater, HERS rater or ResNet rater. So we don't have HERS here. We have a different rating system. So we call them EAs, energy advisors here. They'd be the same thing where they come in. They'll do the calculations for the home prior to it, but they also do the blower door tests during construction or after construction and so forth. Does it get listed with a standard or is there some kind of a result, like a measurement result that comes out, like an overall? Yeah. So if you're aiming for a standard, that's a goal. But if not, you get a rating like the HERS rating, right? So you a get numeric. a rating for the house. Yeah, exactly. Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. At least the old one, the new one does because the lower the number, the better because it tells you that you're getting to like net zero, for example, for the year. So I think it's just called the ERS. Yeah. Energy rating system. Double check that. I haven't had to. Usually we're going for something like I've been advising clients to go towards the net zero energy ready or net zero. Really, the difference is just between ready or net zero energy is solar panels being installed. So that seems to be a good standard where it's not overkill like passive house in our climate because 
you're going to like our 70, 80, 90 walls. Oh, right, 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 right. Whereas we can get the net zero standard with like an R30 some odd wall assembly, which isn't that difficult to do. And it seems to be a good middle ground and it's not an expensive process to go through in order to get the certification, unlike something like Passive House. I always recommend that people, there's a few things that we need whenever I'm talking on the sales process. I'm like, I need to know how much you want to spend or how much you have to spend. I need to know what you want to hit for an energy target. We can talk about that, but we need that. But with those two things and what your top priorities are, right? So with those two things and your priorities, that's when we can actually advise properly. Because if we don't have something, then we're just like blindfolded trying to hit the bullseye, right? Yeah. Do you ever turn a client away? Yes. We can't take on small projects anymore the way we're set up. So we do have to say no to some of those projects. And we don't take on projects that are just minimum building code. So if somebody just said, hey, I want to build this. I don't want no standard, just minimum building code. I just say, well, we're not the contractor for you. There's lots of guys out there that can do that. Got it. And when you do build in those extra features for either net zero, ready, or passive house, what's the kind of extra cost? Or is it more about attention to detail? How would you portray that? So it's always hard to say. There's some people out there that say, oh, passive house is 10 to 20% more. But I say it's difficult. When it comes to custom, custom homes are more expensive. Just bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. They're just more expensive. So can you have a custom home? that is not certified to Passive House compared to one that is certified to Passive House and have the one that's not certified be more expensive? Yes, because you could put a copper roof on it. You can put stone or masonry on the exterior. You could spend $20,000 on a big sliding door or more, right? So there's all sorts of things that don't necessarily affect the performance of a home that can be very expensive. So the only way to really do it is you have to almost do it case by case is you have to take a home, compare it to the exact same model and use those features. Because what happens is that the more you spend on the pretty makeup type stuff, like if you put in a $150,000 kitchen versus the $50,000 kitchen, or you put on the $100,000 roof versus the $30,000 roof, those types of things, like those have nothing to do with performance. What that ends up doing is it reduces the percentage of increased costs in order to get to that passive house standard, for example. So the question is always, What's the baseline? What are we building? If we want to start with a baseline and then you say, okay, how much extra to get to Passive House, then we can work through that. And it might be a small percentage if you've already chosen high-end materials and high-end finishes or a complicated design, for example. So it's definitely a tricky answer. And I feel like I always answer that one like a lawyer or a, like a politician, I should say. <laughs> right, a lot of couched phrases because it depends. It really depends. Yeah. What I basically say is where you will spend more money compared to a home that's built to code will be on your wall assembly. So air sealing details and insulation, and depending on the amount of insulation, probably some added structure in order framing to hold that insulation. And you'll potentially spend more on windows and doors, not necessarily, but you could spend more on windows and doors because there's a lot of expensive windows that don't necessarily perform to the passive house standard. And then the other thing is you could save money on the HVAC side, but it really depends on how you decide to heat. So in theory, you're going to need a lot less BTUs for heating and cooling, but you might choose a more expensive way to do that, like an air source heat pump compared to a natural gas furnace. It just costs more, even if it's a smaller unit. So those are the areas that you end up spending more on. And do you work with architects for the architectural design? 
Yeah, we can do that in house. We don't. The, we've worked a deal with some designers that will work under our umbrella because a lot of people like the one stop shop. But we're happy to work with other architects, and we do work with other architects regularly. Where do you go for your learning? It sounds like you're an avid learner to get to where you've gotten to. What kind of resources would you recommend if someone is looking to follow your footsteps? I'd say go to our channel because I'm sharing everything that we're doing. Here you go. To be honest, I actually learn a lot from talking to people for our podcast, right? And for our YouTube channel. So right now, that's where I learn a lot is by reaching out to the people who I want to learn from and having those conversations. The other place I learn is just by doing it. I know that that's the way I like to learn. So when we're doing projects, a lot of the stuff that we're learning, we're figuring we have a problem on site that we have to solve. And then we work through it with the energy advisor, with the architect or designer, with the homeowner, make sure we're happy. And that's the thing with renovations that there's always something that might have to be solved. We've got it down pretty good on the new home construction and what we think, but there's still materials. There's new materials coming out or materials that homeowners don't want to use. And we have to change wall assemblies. But for the most part, once you understand the science and that you really understand that you need to make the building as airtight as possible, and you need to make sure that your walls are permeable. And once you start to really grasp that, the solutions, it's easier to figure them out. But then it's always good. Like I'm not going to be the guy that does all the calculations and tells you how much heating and cooling you need and so forth. Like I go to the energy advisors for that. But when it comes to constructability, that's what we do. We want to build this. Does it make sense to build it this way or that way? And those are the problems that we like to solve. So, Do you show your problems and solutions through your training or your videos or are those ever like a real world situation presented? Some of them, when we do come across problems, we definitely share that or we're some of the problems are just, hey, we need to design it, right? It's a new home. It's not necessarily a problem. It's we just have to figure out how to solve that. Or what I would share is this is how we built it and this is why we built it this way. Got it. Yeah. But a lot of our videos are like that. Very, very cool. Thank you for sharing your story and your background with it. I'll definitely put in the show notes, the resources for your website, your videos, all the things you shared with me. Any closing thoughts for our listeners? I would say, I guess it's more of an ask is to, it doesn't necessarily relate to construction necessarily, is don't believe everything you think. (laughs) So there's a lot of ways, just because, for example, if I relate it back, if I do relate it back to construction, just because you've been doing it one way, doesn't mean it's necessarily the right way. There can't be a better way. And I think that a lot of times what I see in construction, especially dealing with sub trades, and I get it because they want to get in and get out. They've been doing things a certain way for a long time and they get tunnel vision. They don't really look at either products or different solutions or whatever that might be possible. My ask is to widen that vision and to look for solutions because at the end of the day, there are better ways to build. If you look at how we build homes now, we haven't really changed at all (laughs) in the last couple hundred years, so to speak, or at least here in the last 150, 170 years, we're ripping apart houses that are over a hundred years old that are still wood frame construction. And the difference is they don't have insulation and a vapor barrier or an air barrier, right? So we've understood that part, but we're still putting things together. And to some extent, yeah, we're using engineered stuff. It's actually not built as well as it used to be because of the engineered materials. And that's why firefighters don't want to go into houses and so forth, right? Anyways, I'm getting off topic, (laughs) but either way, yeah. So if you really want to make a difference, I find the biggest thing is if you can actually start to think outside the box and look for other ways to do stuff, I think that's what's going to put your company, if it's a contractor listening to this, this will put you into a different ballgame. You will have less competitors. If you're an HVAC 
contractor and you are doing more air source heat pumps, for example, or you're, you understand how to do zone, how to zone the house or whatever it may be in your industry. If you can do something that's different, there are people looking for that and they will hire you and you will not have the competition that you have in the bucket with everybody else. Create your own blue ocean, as they say. Yeah. The blue ocean strategy. Great book. I should probably reread that one. <laughs> I know all these things we got to reread, right? Yeah. <laughs> Again, thanks, Casey. And thanks for having me on your podcast and your video too. And I'll put some links to my interview back inside my show notes also. And just encourage everyone out there to stay conscious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Bill. Really appreciate you having me. Appreciate you listening to this podcast, talking about the essentials required to build a comfortable, healthy, efficient home with Casey Gray, the Conscious Builder. Other great trade-related resources include the HVACR School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon's channel, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, and HomeDiagnosis.tv, the first TV show on home performance. And of course, all the great stuff Jim MeasureQuick, I said it, Jim Bergman of MeasureQuick <laughs> does, especially the stuff on his YouTube channel. Some of the topics we discuss require technical training for proper interpretation and for safe execution. So if you're a trained pro, go ahead and do it. But if you're not, please consult with and hire a pro. Even if you're a trained pro, be sure you research the topic fully and follow the instruction manual. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. Till next time, take care. We hope to have you back again on the Building HVAC Science Podcast.